Amen. Not only are we going to sing about this great Lord, we are going to study His Word and, and be encouraged and inspired prayerfully about how great indeed He is. You know, we had a chance, uh, the family group leaders and the congregation, to spend uh, a couple of days in a retreat in the last couple of days, and we, we prayed we fellowshiped, we planned, we got inspired, we got our eyes opened to seeing that God is a God of this city and there's still that work that is yet to be done. And so we're excited and very encouraged about the future of the Ottawa Church and I'm so glad to be a part of it. And it was just absolutely phenomenal. You know, we have been on a journey now that has begun for us this specific journey for about six months now. We embarked on a three-year journey that actually might end up being more than a three-year journey. Amen. It's all a good thing. And so for those of us who are visiting us for the first time, we have embarked on a journey of dividing up this journey into three parts. God with the people, or Yahweh with the people, Yahweh, uh, Jesus with the people, and then the Spirit with the people. And the idea of this was for us to understand God's story. And then ultimately for us to find our place in God's story. Oftentimes, sometimes we can get a little bit self-focused and we can find, we try to bring God in our story. Well, that's not a bad thing in and of itself, but the idea is that we've got to find ourselves in His story. And so we have embarked in finding out this story that the Bible talks to us about. It's been a remarkable journey. As we talked about how God created this beautiful world and He called all of it that He created that it was good. And ultimately, He gave us choice whether or not to eat from the, true, from the tree in the middle of the garden because without choice, there is no love. And the fact that we had to choose, and unfortunately, we took matters into our own hands. We started to define what was good. And when I say we, I'm talking human beings. And ultimately, and over and over again, we blew it. Then he made a promise to us. After sin entered into this world, and we found out that we were Naked, we had to clothe ourselves. He then made a promise. He said, I am going to make things right. I'm going to redeem mankind. And while I'm redeeming mankind, and I will crush the serpent's head, but while I'm crushing the serpent's head, 
The one who's doing the crushing, his heel will be bruised. Of course, we understand that to be ultimately when the Christ died on the cross for our sins, that it was not without cost. And it was the cost of his son. And we began this journey and we had our eyes and are having our eyes open to this beautiful story and let it not be confusing to us. The Bible is one story. It's not a bunch of stories put together in 66 books and let's make it, hopefully it works. There's a beautiful tapestry that God has woven together that is about His story of redeeming mankind of which you and I are heirs of that promise. And so why do we tell this story? It's to understand that God will fulfill His promise. He's actually incapable of being unfaithful. Incapable. That when He promises something, His plans can never, ever be thwarted. Get that in our minds. And so when we say, put our faith in God, the idea that we, the journey that we are on is to give you reason to put your faith in God. It's easy to say, trust God. Put your faith in God. Those words are easy to say. At times, it's very difficult to actually put our trust in God because sometimes we don't understand what are we putting our trust in. And the whole idea of this story is for us to be illuminated to the fact that this God that we sang about, how great He is, is worthy of our trust because how omnipotent he is, how benevolent he is, how incredibly faithful he is to his promises. And so we began this journey. And we will continue to see ourselves in this journey as we understand this great God. I've been so encouraged and inspired to go through this journey with God leading us. Very brief summary. When God then had a relationship with the entire world, he created the world, Genesis 1 through 11, and then he says, I'm going to now have this plan of salvation I'll choose one family, and that family is ultimately Abraham. Problem is, this family wasn't a family, in that there were no children. And of course, with a couple of hiccups, ultimately, Isaac was born. And we see this 
theme that is in the scriptures and it happens over and over again that even from creation when there was nothingness and void and emptiness and darkness that God created something out of nothing as he did with the womb of Sarah. And that this theme is found throughout the scriptures and over and over again that so many women who birth incredible people was this idea that we worship this God that creates something out of nothing, that turns what is chaotic into order and gives meaning to emptiness as he does to our lives. And he can turn a chaotic life into making it one which is full of order. And that which is empty can be filled and teemed with function and purposefulness. And then God chose this family and we realized, my goodness, this family's flawed. And that gives us hope that in spite of us being so flawed, God can work through us. And he's shown over and over again, even in spite of us, he can work through us. Now, does that give us license to, <laughs> to be dysfunctional? I don't think so, but it gives us inspiration that when we are in that dysfunction, that he can actually create chaos, uh, order out of chaos. And so we began our story and we picked it up. And, uh, and of course, uh, Abraham and, and, and Sarah gave birth to Isaac, who ultimately gave birth to uh, Esau and Jacob. We, we covered that story. That was a drama of gargantuan proportion. But ultimately, God was not going to be thwarted his plans. And ultimately, the entire clan of Jacob, all 12 of them, ended up going to Egypt. And what man intended for harm, Joseph said, God worked out for the saving of many lives. There are a lot of times harm can come to us. And yet ultimately God works it out for the good. Nonetheless, these 12 sons and their family go up, go down to Egypt. And this 12 families now, God promised them that ultimately that they will come out of this land problem, massive problem. They're there for 430 years. I don't know about you, but when somebody promises something, I want, I mean, it's got to be at least a week, right? <laughs> 430 years! What a most remarkable story. We're going to study it another time in detail. One of the craziest things. Joseph, we know, of course, was one of the sons 
of Jacob. And Jacob, after he dies, the Bible then says, basically a couple of verses later on, Joseph dies. Then Joseph says this. He says, boys, people, promise me one thing. I'm going to die. Promise me one thing. That you are going to take my bones when you leave Egypt. Bury me, but take my bones with you. Joseph says, because God promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we are going to leave this land. 300 years later. Because Joseph came to Egypt when he was but a teenager. He died at 110. Do the math. It's about 300 years later. They still are in Egypt. But you got to understand, 300 years passes. They must have told the story to the next generation, to the next generation, to the next generation. Guess what? We're going to leave this place. And one of the things that we're going to have to leave this place with is the bones of Joseph. So from the end of the book of Genesis to the book that begins the next one, which is Exodus, is about 400 years. This is absolute conjecture. I wonder what became of the mindset of the Israelites when they were in Egypt and this promise that was made to them, whether or not they just even believed it anymore. And in come this guy by the name of Moses. And that's where we pick up today's story. Okay, and so, I think it's really important that we understand the background of what was happening. So we pick it up, the story of Moses. And so we'll, we'll tell a little bit of it. Moses was, lived 120 years, the Bible tells us. And the first 40 years, we're going to cover today. So go get a pack of lunch, um, and, uh, do Uber Eats. We're going to be here for a while. Actually, the Bible is very, very, it, there's just a few passages that talks about the 40 years of Moses. But we'll talk about the beginning, and hopefully we'll tell you the story, we'll see God's story, and inspire you in the way that we conduct ourselves. And so... We got some slides? All right. Oh, here. You want to give me that? This is Sheldon Miller, by the way, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Sheldon is here. He wants to always come up in front. And then Alex is telling him, no, I need to come up in front. 
and he gives Alex the thing, and Alex, and uh, <laughs> apparently, apparently it's a relay that, that we have. All right, um, and so we're going to have Moses, we entitled Special Delivery, the first 40 years. Have you ever anticipated uh, mail? I have. Actually, right now, Melanie and I are waiting on a couple of checks. Yes, not big ones, very small ones. Um, and, and, and they were sent to my son's home in Florida. And so they are sending the mail, and I'm going to every day to the mailbox to see whether or not it's here. I checked the Google, and it says it takes 11 to 20 days. And I said, are they using a donkey cart? To... <laughs> what in the world? But I'm anticipating because there's some, there's some money in it. And who can't use a couple extra dollars? Or you, you, you go on Amazon and you buy something and it says it's coming. You know, you got Amazon Prime and it's coming the next day. And it didn't come, weather or something like that. The anticipation is quite remarkable. It must have been the case for the Israelites because they were promised this deliverance, this delivery that's going to come. We had, we ordered those stylus pens, you know, those tips that, 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 uh, 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 that help out, not the real ones from Apple, but, you know, the, 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 the off-market ones. We got them. It says we're, it's going to be there in a couple of days. Well, it didn't get there in a couple of days. Then we got a note, oh, you can get a refund if it doesn't come. And then it didn't come. We said, we want it. So whatever, we're not, we don't want a refund. We don't want a refund. But it never came. It never came. Little disappointed, not the end of the world. These guys were waiting for this deliverance, this delivery package. And they must have thought it's never coming because it was for such a long time. I know there are times that in our lives we make a commitment to God and we just ask ourselves this question, is this going to become a reality? Is this promise going to be a reality in our lives? And so I'm sure you can relate. And so the question that I wanted to ask here for a little bit, remember some of the promises that God made to Abraham, that I will bless you, that I will bless those who bless you, I will make your name great. And so we pick it up and we realize, actually, in Genesis 12, these are the promises that he made. And we summarized it here in, in, in these seven promises. And then Exodus chapter 1, in verses 7 to 14, it says this, But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous 
that the land was filled with them. Then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have come far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us and leave the country. God promised that they will become a great nation. God promised that they will be, that they will multiply and be plentiful, that they will become great. He promised Abraham that through you, other nations will be blessed. We'll see that here in a second, verse 11. So they put slave masters uh, over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. And so we see here the idea that the promises were actually fulfilled. And yet, the Israelites, I am sure, did not feel like the promises were fulfilled. That ever happens in your life? That sometimes it's difficult to see the promises that are fulfilled in our, your life because of other things that are going on? It's not hard to imagine that. And so that is what was happening. The promises were fulfilled, but because of the misery that they were going through, and who would blame them? It's hard to actually feel it. Sometimes there are things in our life that we have thought about that we hoped would happen, that is not happening in our timing or the way that we imagined it. We grow weary. We grow discouraged. It must have been what was going on here. And like I said, the reason why these stories are told is so that we can understand who God is and how he never, ever not fulfill what he promises. And so we see that. And so, hello. Maybe. Did my battery die? Oh, there it go. Okay, great. And so we, we continue the story. We realize this deliverer, this special delivery is going to come, and we're going to see how this is coming about. Okay, so they're in hard labor. The, the Egyptian says, hey, listen, they're getting too numerous. They felt threatened by them and, and said, we need to get rid of these guys. And so they concocted a plan. This is the plan they concocted in verses uh, 15 to 21. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shipra and Pua, well, you're, when you're helping the Hebrew women during childbirth of the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. 
If it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let, have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became even more numerous. And, and because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. See the story here? The midwife says, listen, we fear God. You're asking me to do something that betrays God? I will not do it. There's a lesson for us here. We continue. Pharaoh now says, okay, he turns up the heat. Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. So he turns up the heat. He says, okay, you're going to do that? You're not going to kill them while they're, they're being born? Even when they grow up to be a boy, throw them into the Nile. This delivery did not come, the special delivery did not come easily. We continue in the next section. Moses, we see, is about to come on the scene. In Exodus chapter 2, next chapter. Now a man of the tribe of Levi, Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When he saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months, but she could no longer hide him. She got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed a child in it, put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. Her, si her sister stood at a distance to see what would happen. Now we see that Moses' mother defies Pharaoh. Then his sister makes sure that the baby is kept safe. She stood at a distance. This delivery package is about to come that they have long awaited for. 430 years in the making. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. 
Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. You get what happened there? The Israelites were under oppression. One of the first recorded genocide of an entire nation. And instead of being killed, not only was he taken into Pharaoh's court, he was taken into Pharaoh's court by Pharaoh's daughter. And not only was he taken care of by Pharaoh's daughter, his own mother got to take care of him. And not only did his mother got to take care of him, she got paid to take care of him. When God's making his promises to become a reality, it's amazing what starts happening. Now the challenge remains, this took a long time. There are some of these stories that are happening but I'm not so sure that everybody is convinced. As a matter of fact, we'll see here in a second the reality of that situation. We continue. We pick it up in this story. In verses 11 to 15. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Okay, I don't know if this happens with you guys, but I walk in the mall, I go to a different city, wherever I am, and if someone sees me who's Indian, they give me the nod. Never met them before. The nod. How are you doing? Like I'm supposed to know what that uh, nod means. I mean, I've gone to, I've gone to, I've gone to the airport, right? And we're, we're going to Spain. So my wife and I were going to Spain and we're there and, and she, I think she took the suitcase and the person says it was like a hundred bucks extra because for whatever and then I walked up, and there was an Indian lady that was, uh, and she says, oh, it's okay. <laughs> no charge. I love being an Indian. I love it. <laughs> I, I hesitate to tell him I wasn't born in India, but that's okay. <laughs> but that, Moses saw his own kind, right? And he saw an Egyptian abusing him. He didn't like it. He said, it's not right. And so he killed the Egyptian. The next day, he went out and saw 
two Hebrews fighting, and he asked one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Whoa, 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 whoa. How did he know that? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. That's the first 40 years of, Pharaoh's, uh, of Moses' life. Here's the crazy part. He got to enjoy the, the best education. He got to partake in the Egyptian educational system, the training, the development. Ultimately, that was going to be used these skills were going to be needed that he had acquired. You know, one of the things about becoming a follower of Christ is that when your eyes are opened, you realize the gifts that God has given you is actually not for your development. It's actually to be used in the kingdom of God for the furthering of his cause. That whatever you have been blessed with in whatever capacity is that you're not giving your extra, but rather this is what God has gifted you in. And for you not to be using it is simply throwing away something that God has given you. I had to learn that lesson. I went into the ministry May 1, 1990. The day I finished my last exam was April 30th, 1990 at the University of Toronto. I went into the ministry. 23 years later, we stepped out of the ministry, only to realize, after a couple of years, as much as was trying to do other things, and was moderately successful at it, that's not my calling. For me to pack in what I've learned and what God has given me and put it in a vault, to be locked up, not to be used again, would be a crime against the gift that God has given me. And some of you are saying that, what gift are you talking about? But that's another discussion for another time. But the point remains, all that... Moses had learned, as a matter of fact, it's always a good thing to actually go into the New Testament and see how people look back on someone's character and how do they summarize 
him. So we'll put this all together and we'll pull it to, together with this. Acts chapter 7, verse 23. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. That's how I know it was 40 years when this happened. Okay? He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought, and get this people, that his own people would realize God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. I didn't always see that Moses understood that he was the deliverer. That's what the book of Acts says. He thought that his own people would realize that he would rescue them. Here's something to ponder. Even though you might be the right person, but if the timing is not right, it does not necessarily mean that you're doing the right thing. Okay, no, 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 no. You didn't hear what I said. That's when people take matters into their own hands. Moses had the right message. He was the right person. But the timing and the method was not what God intended. Whew. He thought, it's obvious I'm the man. And what I'm doing is obviously to help them. They will obviously understand. We're going to rally a cry. People are going to come follow me. Boom. God said, you need, you don't understand this, Moses. You just took matters into your own hands. Does that sound familiar? How many times did people take matters into their own hands and defy the Word of God? Only to their own destruction. Shortcutting. Reasoning, so to speak. Boy, here's a lesson here for us. And so we ask ourselves these questions. Moses was a special delivery. He came. He was rescued. He was protected. He was trained. He was developed. 
And he thought, I got it. This is how. We'll kill the Egyptian. And then he saw two of his own brothers fighting. He says, I'm going to be a peacemaker. That's what God wants, right? It's amazing. There are a lot of people who think they do things and they will never be found out. Oh, history has a way of revealing the truth. We all think. <laughs> we all think we can get away with it. You know what people do? You know how people shortcut? I'll tell you this. I've, I've done it all my life. I've seen it. It's when people shortcut the principles that God says, Christians marry Christians. It's clear as day in the book of Nehemiah and 2 Corinthians. And we think this is what's going to happen. They're a good person. We're going to defy the principles of God. We take shortcuts. Ninety percent of my marital counseling is for in in the area of marriages are because of that reason. And I'm not talking good counseling. Well, I didn't know this. It's amazing what the lust of the eyes does. We start making decisions we will never normally make. We start taking matters into our own hands and thinking, man, I've got it figured out. I can't tell you how many times I thought my dad wasn't well informed. I don't want to say stupid, even though that's too rude for me to say. Only to realize later on in life, he was a lot smarter than I thought. The principles founded here is a very important one. Moses knew he was the man that they waited for for four hundred years and his impulsiveness and I'm sure he could have justified it in his own mind and he took matters into his own hands There's some principles here that are work that we have got to really understand. Moses 
became a deliverer ultimately of the Israelites. We see the anatomy of a deliverer in Moses. How he needed to go back into the desert, if you would, for 40 years to the school of hard knocks. I wonder, and I don't know the answer to this, if they could have been rescued 40 years earlier. But we get to see the story, the finished story. But in spite of Moses' impulsive behavior, do you see the faithfulness of God? You see, this story is not ultimately about Moses. It's about God. And I think one of the things that we've got to ask ourselves sometimes when people don't even see things, and there's a point to be made here what Moses was doing. He saw himself as the deliverer, and I ask you this question. Now, his method and the fact that he took matters into his own hands was problematic, but the fact that you see yourself as a deliverer and the fact that you are one is an important point to be made here. Let me ask you a question. Do you see yourself as a deliverer of people from their bondage? Not in an arrogant disposition, but in a disposition that says, I, a beggar, have found bread. Can I show you where to get some bread as well? Or are we so self-focused that we are keeping this cure for cancer, if you would, to ourselves? Could you be the, be the deliverer for your workplace? For your neighborhood? For your classroom? How does your attitude and your spirit reflect an ambassador of Christ where you're at? Would someone be surprised if suddenly you shared with them you are a devoted follower of Christ? You are? What does that mean? Because I've seen this in your life. How does that make sense to me? And I know that you have a prepared answer. Well, God forgives everybody. We're all sinners. And I tell you, that's the juxtaposition of being a follower of Christ where we're striving to be a great example 
And yet at the same time, we understand we are but sinners and we are in need of his grace and his mercy all the time. But not in a sense of false humility do we not understand that ultimately we're all deliverers in a manner of speaking. couple of brothers work here for UPS. They'll, they'll do some delivery package. But I pray ultimately they see themselves as not delivering packages, but rather delivering people out of bondage and sin. That ultimately is the case here. And so that's part one of the first 40 years of Moses's life. He now gets banished, if you would, to the desert. Man, nothing goes smoothly, does it? All these families that were chosen and the Abraham and the Isaac and the Jacob, we thought we had it all figured out and not one of them was smooth. And then Joseph was gone. That's great. And they sell him into slavery. And what they meant for harm turned out to be good. The saving of their own lives. And the birth of a nation. That ultimately from which ultimately God's deliverance will be made. And of course, we know the story that follows from this. And we'll look into it a little deeper. They were plagues because Pharaoh didn't want to let them go. Of course, we know the plagues weren't for anybody else. Perhaps mostly it was for Moses of the impending challenges that were going to come. How do you know the challenges that you're going through now is not preparing you for a greater challenge to come? We see that principle all the time in the scriptures. You know what the principle that I embrace? The bigger the challenge, the more important that thing down the road is becoming. Because I'm in his hands. You see, when you become his child, his people, you're not in somebody else's hands. And so the challenge is to go through what you're doing, not taking matters into your own hands, but trusting him. What does that mean practically? We don't defy his order. We defy Pharaoh's orders. Let's make sure our defiance is properly placed. And so we know, ultimately, that the greatest deliverer, Moses, is one of the most, if not the most, renowned and revered person in the Jewish community. In the book of Hebrews, 
as we head into our communion, helps us to understand that Moses was only a type of Christ. What does that mean? It means he's a shadow of Christ. What does that mean? Well, if I were to put my hand there, that's a shadow. That's not my hand. It's not the real thing. It's just a shadow. Moses is a shadow of what was to come. But what happened to Moses is very reminiscent of what happened to Jesus. Remember? They tried to kill the babies in Egypt when Jesus was born. Remember they tried to get rid of him? Remember that he was the one that ultimately brought about the incredible salvation of the people's soul that ultimately just as Moses delivered the people out of bondage, so Jesus has delivered us out of bondage. That Moses was born into a poor and oppressed race, just like Jesus, when his people, when he was born, they were being oppressed by the Romans and they were not allowed to. Do you not see, just as Moses was rejected, so Jesus was rejected by his own people? Do you not see the tapestry of this working throughout the scriptures that it's one story? Do you not see that? And that's why we understand his story so that we can trust that this is not fable concocted by man, but it's the hand of God helping us to understand who he is and whose we are. That this story points to the Christ ultimately. And so as we take, we thought about Moses that it reminds us of the Christ. By the way, just a little side note. Moses went to the desert. He didn't take, he took a Gentile wife. Ultimately, the first church that came, you know who first came? A lot of them. While he came to the Jewish people, they were the Gentile nation first. And still to this day, most of the Jewish people reject the Christ. The similarities are remarkable. And today, I ask you, if you're not a follower of Christ, how do you know that you have not been sent a deliverer either by this message or the person that has reached out to you here today? What are you waiting for? You know in your heart you ought to surrender to Christ. You know it. The Spirit is prodding your heart. And so Moses helps us 
to understand that he ultimately points us to the Christ. So as we take the Lord's Supper this morning, as Moses, we looked at his 44, f- first 40 years, as convoluted and as messed up as it is at times, it ultimately still points us to the Christ. You know why? Because that's what it's all about. If you don't have a communion, please raise your hand. The ushers will come and help you. Keep your hand raised. And so as we take these emblems that reminds us ultimately of the true Moses, if you would, the ultimate Moses, the ultimate deliverer, we're drawn to the fact and say, this is the person in whom we place our trust and our hope. That's why we tell this story. We see his plans will never be thwarted. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that what looked like a defeat at one time for Moses when he was quote-unquote banished and ran away from Pharaoh for fear of his life, was actually 40 years of developing the man that he needed to be to ultimately lead millions of people out of Egypt. And we see what Satan intended for harm turned out actually to be good. We see what Satan intended for harm when the Christ was crucified that was ultimately the fulfillment of Genesis 3 when, yes, he would crush the head of the serpent and his heel will be wounded But we see that fulfillment, and so we trust you even more. So, Father, forgive us when we have taken matters into our own hands. We need your mercy, and we need your grace in our lives. And, Father, if there's any time for us to be reminded of that, it's at the time of the cross when we remember your death, burial, and resurrection. Thank you that you did not remain buried. But Father, you were resurrect- your son was resurrected, and in that we have hope. In Jesus' name we offer up this prayer. Amen.